0: On the night of April 14, 1912, on her maiden voyage, the RMS Titanic struck an iceberg.
1: Iceberg! Right ahead!
0: She tipped nose down, broke in half, and sank to the bottom of the North Atlantic. More than 1,500 people died. The wreck was discovered in 1985. Since then, scientists are just about the only people who've seen the Titanic in person. Until now. I'm David Pogue, and this is Unsung Science.
2: This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Season 2, Episode 2, Back to the Titanic, Part 1. Yes, that's right, there is going to be a part two, because this is a big story. Now, starting in January 2023, we're going to treat you to weekly episodes of Unsung Science. So this is kind of a bonus episode, a companion to my CBS Sunday Morning story about the same adventure. Because in the podcast, I've got a lot more time to tell you about my little getaway to the Titanic. My extraordinary, thrilling, heartbreaking Maybe a little controversial getaway. I'm guessing you've heard of the Titanic, the supposedly unsinkable passenger liner that set out to steam from Europe to New York but struck an iceberg and sank on her maiden voyage. I think there might have been a movie about it at some point. In 1985, a team of American and French explorers found the Titanic using a robotic underwater sub. Here's oceanographer Bob Ballard giving a talk about that fateful
3: day. When I found the Titanic, all of a sudden I came in here and it was a wall of steel rising out of sight. That is the bilge keel.
0: For the next couple of decades, a handful of submersibles visited the wreck, primarily for scientific purposes. But by 2005... Interest had pretty much died off until this guy came along. Can you, in a nutshell, describe this business? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're wrapped. (laughs) There you go. Uh, (laughs) This is Stockton Rush. If his first and last name ring any kind of a bell, then you must be a history nut. Richard Stockton and Benjamin Rush were two of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. This Rush is directly descended from both men. But Stockton's dream was not to become a statesman.
4: Well, my whole life, I wanted to be an astronaut. I was part of the just you know, the tail end of the Apollo crowd. I went and got an aerospace engineering degree with that goal. I wanted to be a fighter pilot, but my eyesight isn't good enough for that. Oh, no. Um, was when I had this epiphany that it wasn't about going to space. It was about exploring. It was about finding new life forms. I wanted to be sort of the Captain Kirk. Um, I didn't want to be the passenger in the back. <laughs> and I realized that the ocean is is the universe. That's where life is, and it fit very well. It turns out that an aerospace engineering degree actually has helped me do things in the submersible world that people who don't understand compressible fluid flows didn't quite figure out.
0: His baby is an undersea adventure company called OceanGate. For $250,000, he'll take you to the bottom of the North Atlantic in a custom-made
4: experimental submersible to see the wreck of the Titanic for yourself. It's a very unusual business. It's its own category. It's a new type of travel. It's sort of on the cutting edge, I think, of the whole um, adventure travel movement.
0: Is it kind of like the the new uh, rocketry taking up citizens?
4: Yeah, I think from a a procedure standpoint, it's similar. So we go through a lot of checklists, a lot of procedures, a lot of sign-offs. The life support systems are basically identical. Who are the typical... Clientele. So we have clients that are uh, Titanic enthusiasts, which we refer to as titaniacs. <laughs> and some of those folks are uh, affluent and some are not. So we've have people who have mortgaged their home to come and do the trip. And we have people who don't think twice about a trip of this, this cost. Hmm. We had one gentleman uh, who had won the lottery.
0: By the way, the cost of an Ocean Gate Titanic adventure has not always been a quarter of a million dollars. The first summer of Operation, 2021, a ticket cost only half that much. But then Stockton Rush saw how much people were willing to pay to go to space. And he thought, man, I'm leaving money on the table. I did not pay a quarter of a million dollars. Rush invited CBS Sunday Morning to join his 2022 expedition to the Titanic. And somehow, I got the gig. Thank you, karma. I mean... Inviting media like that is kind of a risky move. If everything goes well, Stockton Rush gets a national news story about his business. But if things go wrong, well, there's going to be a camera filming all of it. From a news perspective, two parts of this Ocean Gate story were interesting to us. First of all, nobody else is going to the Titanic anymore.
4: The last time anybody went to the Titanic was a, was a brief trip in 2019. And before that, the last time anybody went in a, in a submersible, I think, was 2005, 2007. Um, so no one's been down there and no one's planning to go back. So you're us, it? Pretty much. <laughs> wow! Why isn't
0: it the most studied, visited, archaeological place? I mean,
4: it's very difficult to do. It costs a lot to get that ship out there.
0: The other thing we found interesting was that this isn't just a tourism outfit. Every Ocean Gate expedition to the Titanic also has scientists aboard doing actual research. In effect, the paying passengers are subsidizing the science. Are these scientific expeditions or are they, are they adventure travel expeditions?
4: So they are a blend. Um, they are technically adventure travel with a science component. Every dive has a scientific purpose or a research or an exploration purpose, but it is funded by somebody who's looking for an adventure travel experience.
0: Now, OceanGate insists on addressing its paying customers with the clumsy five-syllable term mission specialist. Before our shoot this summer, they even emailed me a document that basically said, in thy news reporting, thou shalt not use the terms tourists, customers, or passengers. The term is mission specialists. Okay, whatever. It is true that these people are invited to do actual work on the sub all week. And how real are the jobs being done by those folks? I mean, is it, you know... Make work or not? Yeah, Yeah, make work. No,
4: there are things that are maybe less critical. For example, reviewing video content. You know, you're not going to hurt anybody if you mess that up. We've sort of identified what those things are. Cleaning out the sub when it comes back. we got to clean the inside. We've got to put new supplies in. Closing the dome, you can double-check that easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of those things are um, are easy to do.
0: The Titanic lies 400 miles southeast of St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada. And yes, that is how they say it. Newfoundland. Not Newfoundland. And not Newfoundland, it's Newfoundland. And what's so special about St. John's? This town happens to sit at the easternmost tippy-tip of all of North America. If you want to sail to the Titanic efficiently, you start there. Because that's as close as land gets. Welcome to St. John's, a place so special, it's got its own time zone, 90 minutes ahead of New York City. That's the third banjo player I've seen today. Our home for the next nine days was going to be a gigantic blue industrial ship called the Horizon Arctic, which is ordinarily used for hauling around floating oil rigs and sometimes icebergs. Stockton Rush had rented it and its crew for the summer to carry us and his experimental submersible. Now, the back of the ship is a huge, flat, open deck. It's ordinarily filled with enormous oil rig components. And the front is the ship part, and it's eight decks tall, so the whole ship looks kind of front-heavy. But on that back deck, shining in the summer sun, there it was, Stockton Russia's submersible. It's one of only five subs in the world capable of reaching titanic depths without imploding, and the one that I'd be spending 12 hours in myself if I got lucky. The sub is called the Titan. The main center section looks like a shiny white tube about minivan length. It's made of 5-inch thick carbon fiber, which nobody's ever used in a submersible before. I asked Rush about that. And surely there was some pushback when you're like, I'm going to design my sub to take non-scientists to the Titanic out of a material that hasn't been used before.
4: Yes, I mean anything when you're trying something outside the box, people inside the box think you're nuts.
0: And what's the virtue of the carbon fiber?
4: Uh, it's three times better on a strength to buoyancy basis than titanium. <laughs> and so that's in underwater, that's what you care about. By having a light hull, you have a smaller uh, vessel, uh, therefore you can have a smaller ship. You know, everything starts to get a little bit easier.
0: At each end of the white tube is a shiny silver dome. They're like end caps.
4: We have the
1: forward dome, three and a quarter inch thick titanium. And then on the back there, another hemisphere of titanium.
0: This is mission director Kyle Bingham giving me a tour. There's also a weird looking stub mounted to the back dome, which he calls the rear cage.
1: This rear cage holds our batteries, our electronics, and a little bit of foam on the top to help trim the whole thing up.
0: The front end cap has a 22-inch round window made of 7-inch thick plexiglass so you can see out. When you get to the bottom of the ocean, that's your view of the Titanic. That and whatever the exterior cameras are showing you. Rush gave me a tour of the inside. Take your shoes off.
4: That's customary. Okay.
0: Wow. It's like a a
4: minivan. Yeah, it's like the Suburban. It's a little bigger than you would think. It's decent sized, size. So so this is not your grandfather's submersible. (laughs) Um, Most of the deep diving subs were made with a purpose. They wanted to collect a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. It was a science tool. So there wasn't a lot of thought given to creature comforts. They tend to be spheres. They're small. They're cramped. Uh, They don't have a toilet. You have a little toilet.
0: Well, kind of. If you have to go to the bathroom during the dive, you can crawl into the window end of the sub and hang up a black cloth for privacy. There's a one-foot square box on the floor that contains Ziploc bags, and that's your toilet. Rush promises that they turn up the music really loud when you're in the bathroom. There are a couple of touchscreen PC monitors on the floor of the sub, but otherwise, there are no controls in this thing. Wait a minute, I've I've seen submersibles, and they
4: are banks of controls yeah. like the like cockpit after cockpit exactly yeah <laughs> it's like yeah you can have a lot of buttons and things like that or you can use modern technology to make it simple so how so, do you drive it we run the whole thing with this game controller <laughs> come on well, this thing is made for a 16 year old to throw it around and we keep a couple of spares
0: i'm not kidding he drives his multi-million dollar sub with a white plastic xbox game controller And that's not the only part of the sub that seemed kind of jerry-rigged. Take, for example, the ceiling lights.
4: I got these from uh, Camper World, um, and they are LED lights in here, um, and a nice little decorative feature.
0: And then there are the cameras.
4: We have uh, a number of cameras that are actually security cameras. A lot of subs have custom-made video capture systems. By getting rid of that and just saying, look, we just want to capture the image and know where we are, we can use these off-the-shelf components.
0: Leader... When I interviewed Rush at his headquarters near Seattle, I asked him about that. It seems like this submersible has some elements of MacGyvery, Jerry rigness. You're like, we bought these handles off camperworld.com. And you're like, these thrusters are modified from some other purpose.
4: I don't know if I'd use that description of it, um, but there's certain things that you want to be uh, buttoned down, and that's the pressure vessel
0: the pressure vessel is the carbon fiber tube the part that keeps the human beings alive
4: so the pressure vessel is not macgyver at all because that's where we work with boeing and nasa and the university of washington that part you know once the pressure vessel is you're certain it's not going to collapse on everybody everything else can fail you know, it doesn't matter. Your thrusters can go, your lights can go, all these things can fail, you're still gonna be safe. Mm-hmm. And so that allows you to do what you call MacGyverish stuff. You just have to be very careful that the life support system, the, the sub itself, the oxygen system, the carbon dioxide scrubbing, all that stuff, that needs to be buttoned down. But but surely I'm not the
0: first layperson to say, I can't believe this is more finished solid, state-of-the-art NASA electronic. I mean, you're
4: putting construction pipes as ballast. Uh, People are surprised by it. Not people in the industry, because Uh that's what they do. I mean, the French had bags of stuff they dropped. Uh, The Russians used just steel, you know, uh, a shot with a little (laughs) magnetic release, and they drop it. All deep-diving subs are prototypes.
0: Please remember that line. All deep-diving subs are prototypes. That should be a T-shirt. Are there ever clients who are taken aback and expected something more
4: polished? Yes. Really? Yeah. When we started out, we did have cases where uh, a travel agent or a travel consultant would lead them to believe this was like going to the Four Seasons and booking (laughs) a zip-lining trip. And we'll never be like that.
0: Now, I've been the host of 20 Nova science specials on PBS, and I've done a lot of shenanigans to make science telegenic. I've gone hang gliding, I've been given electric shocks, I've been subjected to extreme temperatures, I've pet 13-foot sharks in the Bahamas. But I've never feared for my life. Gotta tell you, this was different. I mean, here are just a few choice excerpts from the waiver you have to sign. The experimental submersible vessel has not been approved or certified by any regulatory body. Any failure could cause severe injury or death. The support vessel is an industrial vessel not designed for passenger operations and presents many hazards, including property damage, injury, disability, or death. If I choose to assist in the servicing of the submersible, I will be exposed to high-pressure gases, high-voltage electrical systems, and other dangers that could lead to property damage, injury, disability, and death. I hereby assume full responsibility for the risk of bodily injury, disability, or death. Okay, great. Where do I sign? I mean, I was actually scared. Last year, at the end of one Titanic dive, Oceangate had trouble getting the sub back onto the ship. Those poor mission specialists, they wound up spending 27 hours in the sub. Granted, the company says the sub has 96 hours worth of oxygen and power, and Stockton isn't exactly an amateur. As a young man, he designed and built his own fiberglass airplane, which he still flies. Titan isn't even his first submersible. But it just doesn't help your anxiety much when somebody says stuff like this.
4: There's a limit. You know, At some point, safety just is pure waste. I mean, if you just want to be safe, don't get out of bed. Don't get in your car. Don't do anything. At some point, you're going to take some risk. And it really is a risk-reward question. I said, I think I can do this just as safely by breaking the rules.
0: Bottom line... The last couple of nights before the expedition, I didn't sleep at all. Did I want to die for a TV story and a really great podcast episode? I mainly worried about three things. First, I worried that the sub would collapse under the pressure, 6,000 pounds per square inch once you're down there. That's about the pressure you'd feel on your chest if 46 school buses parked on your sternum But Rush reminded me that the deeper you go, the tighter the water presses those titanium end caps onto the carbon fiber tube. The whole thing becomes more waterproof the deeper it goes. Oh, okay. Second, I worried about running out of air. The Titan uses the same kind of oxygen scrubbers that they use on submarines and spacecraft. They convert carbon dioxide back into oxygen. But what if that system breaks down? Well, I learned that the Titan also carries chemical scrubber strips that you can break out and hang from the ceiling in an emergency. And as a backup backup, it's got plain old scuba oxygen tanks in storage under the floor. Oh, really? But I also worried about getting back to the surface. Exactly what kind of ballast did this thing have? First, there are three enormous, heavy, black, beat up construction pipes on each side of the sub. Here's Kyle Bingham.
1: These triple weights, we call them, are, uh, are hydraulically driven, so we operate inside. It doesn't take any electricity, can be done manually, and those drop away and gain us a lot of buoyancy.
0: Dropping that much weight onto the seafloor means the sub starts rising. Okay, but what if the hydraulic system breaks? Well, then they have
1: roll weights. Uh, So we've got these weights here on the side. These are roll weights. We can actually roll this up, and those come off. That gains us some buoyancy to come back to the surface.
0: These are pipes that sit on a shelf that juts out from either side of the sub, held in place only by gravity. If everyone inside the sub shifts their weight to one side, the sub tips enough to let these pipes roll off. And if that doesn't work, there are ballast bags full of metal shot hanging below the sub.
1: These bags that hang down below, we drop those off using motors and electric fingers.
0: Okay, but what if the electronics go out and the hydraulics fail and everyone inside has passed out unconscious?
1: There's fusible links within these uh, that actually can dissolve, those drop off. Fusible links are dissolving bonds. After 16
0: hours in the seawater, those bonds disintegrate, the weight bags drop off, and you go back to the surface. And even those four systems aren't the end of it. The sub's thrusters can also push you up. The pilot can jettison the sub's legs as dead weight. And there's even an airbag that they can inflate to provide buoyancy. All told, that's seven different ways to get the sub back up to the surface. Wow, those are a lot of backups of backups. Yes. I guess you really don't want to be
1: stuck down there. Going home is required.
0: I asked Stockton Rush about the whole danger thing. How dangerous is it?
4: I don't think it's very dangerous. If you look at uh, submersible uh, activity over the last three decades, there hasn't even been a a major injury, uh, let alone a fatality. What worries us is not once you're underwater. What worries me is when I'm getting you there, when you're on the ship, in IC states with big doors that can crush your hands and people who may not have the best balance who fall down, uh, bang their head, that's, that's to me the dangerous part, mm-hmm. but the scary part for most people is you know, going down to 6,000 PSI.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive. I would yeah. certainly not expect life on the surface ship to be the dangerous part. Yeah. Once we're down there, what are the things to worry about?
4: So what I worry about most are things that will stop me from being able to get to the surface overhangs, uh, fishnets, entanglement hazards, and that's just a technique, you know, piloting technique. You, it's pretty clear. If it's an overhang, don't go under it. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if, uh, if there's a net, don't go near it. So um, you, can, you can avoid those if you're just slow and steady.
0: Most of our fellow expeditioners were rich people seeking adventure, like a hedge fund guy with his son, an artificial intelligence pioneer who'd sold a bunch of companies, and Shrenik Baldota, who runs a massive industrial conglomerate in India. And you have a nickname? Yeah, they call me a wild monk. Uh, like the wild monk? Yeah,
2: because I look like a monk, I, I'm very calm, but uh, I have these extreme uh, interests that I do. Going into a live volcano in Vanuatu, two times to Antarctica,
0: uh, on the edge of space flight, swimming with the blue whales, catching crocodiles in Botswana with National Geography. You've done all this? Yeah. You witnessed this week and previous weeks many dives getting canceled. Have you talked your brain through what will happen if you don't get to go down at all? I'll come back again. Aha. Fateful words, as you'll see in a bit. And then there was Renata Rojas. She is not a hedge fund dude or the owner of a major industrial complex. She works in a bank. You don't strike me as a multimillionaire.
3: I am not a (laughs) multimillionaire. I've been saving to do this my entire life.
0: When you told people that you were spending almost the price of a small house to do this one day trip, did you get any
3: reactions? Most people think I'm crazy by spending all this money. My response is, dreams don't have a price. Some people want a Ferrari. Some people have children. Some people buy a house. I want to go to Titanic.
0: She's not kidding. She really wants to see the Titanic.
3: I'm trying to fulfill a dream, a quest that I've had since I'm a child. But then I saw the movie A Night to Remember in Black and White and the mystery of Titanic having vanished, something so large and magnificent having vanished from the face of the Earth. Nobody knew where it was.
0: A Night to Remember is that famous 1934 movie about the sinking.
3: So I started to do a little bit of investigation of how I could go to Titanic. Uh, Back then it was only $40,000 which I did not have. So I started uh, saving my money. And by the time I got to the $40,000, it was $60,000. And then it became $80,000. And I just kept saving up and trying to get into an expedition. Uh, finally, in 2010, I got into the deep ocean expeditions, uh, centennial dives. Mm. But those expeditions were not only postponed twice, but then cancelled. The mirrors were retired.
0: The mirrors were a pair of Russian submersibles, the same ones that James Cameron rode down to the Titanic when he filmed scenes for his movie. The mirrors are no longer
3: in service. So the quest became trying to find a private submersible company that would be willing to go to Titanic. And I stumbled into Oceangate.
0: She was the company's very first customer. She joined the very first two expeditions the first two weeks of operation in 2021. But the Titan had mechanical problems the first week and never made it down to the Titanic. And the second week, the weather was too bad to dive. Of course, she could have stayed on board for a third week, but you didn't.
3: No, I had to leave. I had to leave. My father at the time got sick, so I wanted to go down to Mexico to see how he was. And so I went back home.
0: A year went by. Since she'd missed her chance the first year, Ocean Gate gave her a free do-over this summer. Renata Rojas was finally going to achieve her dream. Except her bad luck struck again, this time in the form of air travel hell.
3: Well, there was a 4th of July weekend and Canada Day. I got stuck in the airports, my flights got canceled, and I, I ended up landing in St. John's too late to meet the boat. Almost seems like the universe wants to tell you something. And for a second, you just want to give up. You do think, all this effort, for what?
0: (laughs) That's why I wanted to talk to you, because you have been wanting to do this for... 40 years. 40 years! 40 years! And at least twice now, it's been in your grasp and then taken away.
3: Three times.
0: Three times. has
3: been on my grasp.
0: So, psychologically, Mm -hmm. what do you tell yourself to not lose your mind?
3: You just cry a lot and just keep the dream alive because it's something that that I I have to do. I think it's next week, Renata. I hope so. (laughs) If it's not next week, it will happen. Next year, maybe it's next year.
0: Would Renata ever get to see the darn shipwreck? Would I? Will you? The answers to those questions and more after the ads.
3: Ah.
1: The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks
4: to Carvana. It doesn't get any
2: better than this.
4: Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house.
2: Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours
4: after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car
2: from your comfy place. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You better over here! Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fee. At 24 monthly bill credits for well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement. Due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.
0: Welcome back. These Ocean Gate expeditions are nine days long, two days at sea on each end. And you spend five days floating above the wreck. So, in theory, Ocean Gate could visit the Titanic as many as five times during the trip. One 12-hour dive per day. The thing is, in its two summers of operation, Ocean Gate has never made five dives to the wreck. On a typical nine-day expedition, they're lucky to get down there twice. I mean, we are talking about the North Atlantic here. Remember the movie The Perfect Storm? That's the place. The weather can be terrible out here. Also, the sub often has problems of its own. As a wise man once said, all deep diving subs are prototypes. We already knew that on our five days, the seas would be too rough to launch the sub on days two and three. So that left days one, four, and five. The CBS crew was scheduled to dive on day one. Paying customers would be filling the sub on days four and five. But the night before our dive, mission director Kyle Bingham reviewed the wave heights for the next day.
1: Um, Sea state's out there, 6 a.m., kind of around where we're launching. Uh, We're looking at six feet. It kind of continues to climb through that part of the day.
0: And sure enough, on day one, the seas were too rough to launch the sub. I mean, not going to lie, I was pretty crushed. That concluded any hopes I'd had of making it to the Titanic. On the other hand, Rush proposed a consolation dive, a CBS News special. We'd dive the continental shelf, the Grand Banks, 80 miles away. Rush said we might see shark breeding grounds, stunning towering underwater cliffs, and maybe marine creatures nobody's ever seen before. So, on the morning of our dive, we awoke at 4 a.m. Dang, I was exhausted and excited. Well, weather's bad today at the Titanic, so we sailed 80 miles through the night to the continental shelf where the CBS crew is being offered the chance to go down in the sub. Uh, Not nearly as deep, not nearly as long as a Titanic dive, but it's still going to be a thrill. Five of us climbed into the Titan, Stockton Rush, the pilot, Steve Ross, a deep-sea marine biologist, Nelson White, an indigenous artist and friend of the company, producer Anthony Laudato, wielding the camera, and me.
4: Uh, But you'll feel a lot of bumping. Sometimes there's some banging. Don't worry about it. All that can happen is the outside can get hurt. We're not getting hurt. So we we are now the safest five people on the planet.
0: The crew closed the front titanium end cap and sealed us in with 17 bolts from the outside. Okay. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I have severe claustrophobia. Is that a problem? Now, there's one key part of this subsystem that I haven't mentioned yet because it's sort of complicated. Complicated, but cool. You might have wondered at this point, what's the difference between a submarine and a submersible? A submarine has enough juice to leave port, do its trip, and come back, all under its own power. A submersible has much less power. You need a surface ship to launch it and recover it. Most submersibles get lowered into the water by a crane mounted on the ship, usually an A-frame crane. But Stockton Rush wanted to avoid that system.
4: There's nothing dumber than doing anything on the surface of the water. You do it underwater or in the air. It's that transition where the, where the problems happen. It's when you get that sub out of the water and it's hanging on a pendulum. That's the dangerous part. Ah. So think about it. You have a 10-ton sub and a multi-thousand-ton ship, and they're in bad waves. So anybody can launch when it's dead calm. Mm-hmm. But when the waves are there, these things are banging into stuff. The typical solution is get a really big ship and a really big A-frame. Well, that's super expensive.
0: Eventually, he heard about a radically different launch system, which would let his sub operate from any ship at all, even one that doesn't have a crane. And this is how it works. The sub is bolted onto a huge metal floating platform, which the crew refers to by its technical name, the platform. It's a silver steel 15 by 25 foot platform, about four feet tall, with the sub attached in the middle. The whole apparatus spends most of its time sitting on the back deck of the ship.
4: So the sub has its launch platform. That's how it's operated. It does not operate without
0: the launch platform. Okay. When it comes time to dive, they roll the platform down this massive bright orange ramp off the back of the ship into the water. At
4: this point, there are four compartments. We release the air, they fill with water. The whole thing goes underwater. The whole thing sinks. How far down? About 30 feet. Okay.
0: And why do the platform and sub sink down together? Because the water
4: is calm down there. After all... There's nothing dumber than doing anything on the surface of the water.
0: Next, scuba divers unclip the sub from the platform. And yes, you're hearing the actual sound of our actual diver doing the actual unclipping. He wore a GoPro just for us. At this point, the sub is now floating free. The pilot activates the thrusters, and off they zoom to their deep-sea destination. Twelve hours later, they do all of this in reverse. The sub rises to the surface and glides onto the platform, the divers clip it in, the crew pumps the platform's tanks full of air, it rises back to the surface, and a winch drags the whole thing back up the ramp onto the ship. Easy as pie, in theory. In practice, there were a lot of checklists, procedures, and bumps.
2: Titan, are you a go or no-go? Titan is
0: go. They need motorboats to drag the platform down that giant orange ramp. And it's a jerky, balky ride. Stockton suggested that we brace ourselves on each other.
4: When we do the submergence, we'll probably have you two um, put your feet in the dome, and then we can sit our knees on your back. Really? Get to know your neighbor.
0: This feels pretty steep. Six Flags, great adventure. Finally, it happened. We're tipping. You're we in the water, people. And suddenly, we were floating. We could hear a lot of clanking, and out our little round window, we could see the crew running around on the platform, preparing to sink it and us.
4: Um, so we've just completed phase one of the launch process, which is launching the sub and platform from the back deck. Um, look outside, and we've got we go. some six, eight-foot swells every so often, but generally calm. Uh, that went fairly smoothly, and they're going to come and prepare the platform for the next phase, which is the sinking.
0: The water was aqua and bubbly as we went down. We're Four Four meters. Meters underwater. Oh, we are. Oh, we're underwater. Five, 12 meters. That would be something like 36 feet.
4: All integrity, holding.
0: This was it. This was the precise moment when the divers went to unclip our sub from the platform. And that's precisely when the bridge of the ship radioed us. Go ahead, topside.
4: In that they sunk all the way under, or they came undone?
1: Uh, They came undone.
4: Not an exact science. Everything down to not tying. So apparently those floats there came off the platform, and that wasn't supposed to happen. So we're... I'm going to pause.
0: Rush had to make a hard decision in a hurry. Do we care about a couple of stupid buoys when underwater cliffs and shark breeding grounds are calling out to us? Well, this is Stockton Rush we're talking about. With a knowing smile and a steely glint in his eye, he picked up the radio handset, held it to his mouth, and announced his decision. Oh, gosh. Look at the time. (laughs) This episode has gotten super long. I think this is as good a cliffhanger as any. Let's pause here, and in the next episode of Unsung Science, I'll finish up the story. You'll hear tales of whales, tsunamis, freak solar phenomena, a sub lost in the dark, and maybe, if you're very, very good, a visit to the Titanic. You've just listened to another episode of Unsung Science with David Pogue. Don't forget that the entire library of shows, along with written transcripts, await at unsungscience.com. This podcast is a joint venture of Simon & Schuster and CBS Sunday Morning, and it's produced by PRX Productions. For Simon & Schuster, the executive producers are Richard Rohrer and Chris Lynch. The PRX Production team is Jocelyn Gonzalez, Morgan Flannery, Pedro Rafael Rosado, and Morgan Church. Jesse Nelson composed the Unsung Science theme music. Our fact checker is Christina Ribello. And Olivia Noble fixed the transcripts. For more of my stuff, visit davidpogue.com or follow me on Twitter at Pogue. That's P-O-G-U-E. We'd love it if you'd like and follow Unsung Science wherever you get your podcasts. And spread the word, will you?
2: If you like Unsung Science, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. <laughs>